Welcome to Dear Business Coach, the podcast. My name's Elizabeth, coming to you from the Walker Consulting Works Studio. Find one thing to move your business forward today. With conversations, spotlights, interviews, articles, and free resources. Listen, follow, and subscribe on social media, Your Business Coach Podcast. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube. And don't forget, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. All it takes sometimes is one little thing to move your business forward today. Clayton Fletcher is a New York City-based stand-up comedian, actor, and writer who has been featured on Hulu, SiriusXM, MSNBC, and ESPN. His smart, clean, provocative comedy is geared towards audiences hungry for laughs without the crude shock value that's prevalent in stand-up today. Clayton has taught thousands of aspiring comedians and thousands of brave business people how to unlock the prodigious power of truth in comedy. He has served as chief comedy officer at Peppercom for 13 years years. Clayton has a new special out, Middle Child Syndrome, available on all streaming platforms, and the new book he's here to discuss today, The ROI of LOL, recently debuted at number one on Amazon's business charts. Today, I have a chance to ask Clayton if he'll share with me some of the magic behind the things that a comedian knows that a business person should also know. Clayton, welcome to Dear Business Coach, and thank you again for being here with us. You know, you're here because of the the ROI of LOL, and I found your book, you know, number one because it's out there and it's catching a lot of fire on online, and it's fun to read. It's actually the first book I've picked up in a while where I read it cover to cover in 24 hours, and wow. just was you know marking pages. But that's also because as we learned of each other when we first talked. Um, you know, I have a, an affinity for improv or a love of it. I'm a little starstruck by anybody who can successfully <laughs> pull off improv. I've been to classes, but that, you know, is just um, uh, a, a personal interest. But you, the book is, you know, you're on Dear Business Coach with me today. And um, in the book, you're talking about teaching comedy and all things small business and workshops, you know, is where you got where you and Steve start catching the audience in a workshop in an in an environment where the skills of comedy can be can foster be fostered. So that's that's where you come in, right, Chief Comedy Officer. One of the things that you do best is talk about. Uh, building a connection with your audience and truth-telling in comedy. And I had asked you about that and bringing the skills of truth-telling to comedy. You cover in the book that it is true that in sketch comedy, 
your first thought trying to bring that skill set into business might be, you know, will it be, will it be too raunchy? Will it be inappropriate? And as a comic, you know that there are ways on stage that you can use uh, knee jerk like tactics. You're a clean comic, so you know what I'm where I'm going with this. Maybe a little bit. There are things you can do on stage that can elicit a response. But you and Steve are working to really make a connection with your employees, with your customer, and so your skill set, truth telling, and comedy helps you with storytelling. Bring the audience with you. And make a truthful connection with your audience. Am I reading too far into this, Clayton? No, Elizabeth, I think you're right on track. I mean, uh, first of all, thank you for probably being the first person that I know of who read the book cover to cover. I think that's oh. wonderful. I mean, it is it is written to be, a, you know, it's a short read, maybe five or six hours for the average reader. We also have an audio version out there. Um, but yeah, the book is designed to be uh, for a business book, you know, obviously a light read, right? Because we're talking about how we use comedy skills in business, whether it's stand-up comedy, improvisational comedy, or sketch comedy. We talk about the differences among them and how the skills that one learns from uh, from these three different disciplines of com comedy can be applied directly to many workplace challenges. And you mentioned Steve, and that's my co-author, Steve Cody, who is a CEO of a PR firm called Peppercom here in New York City. So uh, the two of us kind of joined forces. I come from the entertainment side, from the, I'm a, I'm a comedian, I'm a lifetime performer. My whole life I've been on stage. And then he has been in business since he graduated from college. So the two of us kind of coming together and sharing what we've learned from each other over the years is what uh, sort of spurred us, if you will, to to write the book in the first place. And yeah, I mean, one of the key takeaways from the book, I think, should be that uh, everyone has an audience, not just a performer, but everyone has an audience. And connecting with that audience in a meaningful and, and human way is more powerful than any PowerPoint presentation or facts and figures you could pull out from your you know, laboratory of you know, people trying to analyze the numbers and crunch the numbers, where all that stuff is really important. What we've learned over the many years we've been doing this, it's really about one-on-one -on -one human connection. And that's what comedians do every night. And that's what business people should be doing nine to five every day. Absolutely. Now you had shared with me uh, when we talked before about, you know, what, what it means to be a purpose driven organization. And uh, you, it seems clear to me in the book, you all, you and Steve want to connect with people who want to be, want to be a part of a purpose driven organization. And you address a concern in a generational gap I said to you that I learned recently I'm a geriatric millennial and I didn't know what that was. And uh, now I realize that that's a bracket. So maybe that um, uh, answers some questions for me as far as how I relate to somewhere in the middle in this generational gap. Um, you know, if I'm a millennial, then my personal experience is, you know, when I look at an organization, I'm evaluating if I want to work for them them 
if I believe in their purpose, if I believe they actually have a purpose or if they're actually, if they're showing a purpose to attract employees and engagement, if it's fake. And so I said to you in our conversation before, you know, it feels like it's not that I don't care, you know, as a millennial, you might say I'm lazy, but it's not that I don't care. It's that I, maybe I'm not sure that you care. Maybe I can tell you don't care. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Elizabeth. In, in America today, we love to subdivide our population in so many different ways. Like this person's a Gen Z, that person's a millennial, this person's a baby boomer, whatever. Uh, you know, this person's from a red state, that one's from a blue state. We have all these different ways that we like to subdivide our population. But what laughter does, and I've seen this with the many different audiences that I've had to, let's say, navigate over the years, uh, what comedy does is break down those walls. And so now if we're laughing together, it doesn't matter if I'm from the North and you're from the South or I'm 50 years older than you, or we just have different opinions or we have different religions or all the different you know, racial backgrounds, all the different things that make us want to be in different categories, right? And now you're subdividing millennials into elder millennials, geriatric millennials. It just, where does it end, you know? But what we all have in common is we all love to laugh. Laughter releases powerful chemicals in the brain. I'm talking about peptides and neurotransmitters and endorphins that make us feel great, okay? And so that's what laughter does. If you can learn how to connect with your coworkers, with your audience, with your customer base, your clients, whatever kind of business you might be in, if you can really learn how to connect with them using your sense of humor and sharing a laugh together, then all those other subdivisions that we like to put ourselves into for whatever reason kind of go away because now we all can agree this is hilarious. So that's what it's really about. It's a, it's a great way to find common ground with your fellow human beings. Love it. Love it. So can it really be taught, though? You say in the book that you believe and you are here to say and show that it can be taught. Yeah. And yeah. So listen, I'm not trying to say with this book, the ROI of LOL or with any other of the speaking engagements that I do. I'm never trying to say I can make you the next big comedy superstar. Right. I can't turn everyone into Kevin Hart or something. That's not possible, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But what I can help you learn is what is your unique individual sense of humor? I always say a sense of humor is kind of like a fingerprint and that yours is not the same as mine and mine is not the same as hers or his and it just it on and on down the line. So what we try to learn through this training is what makes your sense of humor unique because that will also tell us something about your overall personality beyond your sense of humor, right? What kind of person are you? Are you generally optimistic? Are you generally sarcastic? Are you generally sardonic? Like what are your personality traits and how do they uh, show themselves on stage when you're performing comedy? So it's not really about making Elizabeth a, a headliner at a comedy club in Virginia somewhere. It's more about what I know from all my years of doing comedy that you as a business person could benefit from knowing yourself. So it's kind of about getting outside of your comfort zone, maybe learning something about yourself you didn't realize, 
and then figuring out how to use those different skills in the workplace. And that's a very important distinction because it's a different class that I would teach if I'm actually trying to get you, you know, uh, to start getting comedy gigs somewhere. It, it's not the same class that I would teach when I'm actually helping a company, you know, do a team building exercise or something of that nature. <laughs> Well, okay. Well, I actually, um, I want to say too that, you know, even though you can't turn someone into a Kevin Hart overnight, like you say, <laughs> maybe you could, maybe you could actually never say never. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, there is a page that stood out to me, um, forms of improvisational uh, comedy, short form improv, page 157. I'll I'm not going to read from the book, but I'm going to say that on that page, I thought, oh, my goodness, here's a paragraph where if I have any improv skills or uh, uh, exposure, it's kind of a little instant workshop right here on the page. You actually tell us about exercises, improv specific games that you can take to your team right now. Yeah, absolutely. So improv is the branch of comedy. Uh the, the discipline, if you will, where we create a story as a team without a script. So you've seen this if you've ever watched Curb Your Enthusiasm or Whose Line Is It Anyway or Wild It Out. The comedy happens uh, organically because the team is working together to make the comedy happen. So there are certain things that we learn from doing these different short form improv games they're actually not games because there's not really a winner, but I don't know why we've always called them games. Because I guess in improv, you, you kind of play, you know? You've already learned what your sense of humor is through the uh, stand-up comedy training. And you learn what makes your sense of humor unique, what makes you special as a, as a voice, right? That's what stand-up teaches us. Then we take that to improv, and we learn how to use our voices and our personalities together in a group setting. And what we're really trying to do is listen to each other and try to make each other look good. So if you're the type of person that when you're doing a team meeting, you want to be the center of attention, you want to make sure that the client sees you as the superstar of the presentation, uh, you could probably really benefit from learning what improv performers already know, which is that the best way to have success is if each person on the team is trying to make sure that everyone else on the team looks good. So I say in the book, that you want to lead the league in assists, not points. So that's a basketball reference, but it's really about trying to make everybody else the star. And if we're all doing that, then guess what? We all end up being stars and nobody is sucking all of the oxygen out of the room. And we've all been in those meetings and that's not fun at all. <laughs> you know, we're going to well, take uh... yeah, it's, it's awful. Nobody, nobody wants that. <laughs> Uh, so when we're in a workshop now, I'm I'll ask you uh, some some questions about the elements of a workshop. There are some places in the book where you spend some time 
where you describe what it looks like when you and Steve start a workshop, you address, you kind of um, address what the workshop's going to, going to look like. You and Steve do some act out. Um, and uh, also that's the time when you address appropriate versus inappropriate you you know when you're coming into a workshop you set the set the appropriateness of the t you know where the line is at least say that and beyond that what makes a successful workshop you have elements of music elements of professional comedians or actors like yourself to facilitate is that a fair question yeah, that's a great question. I mean, uh, as you read through the book and you see that we've been doing this together for over 15 years now, you might say, well, what is it and, and how does it work, right? So if a company uh, hires me to come in and help them for, say, a, a full day, right? I'm going to spend the morning talking about comedy generally, getting them up on their feet, breaking some ice with uh, exercises that actually work, right? We all have the HR uh stereotype of uh, why don't you close your eyes and fall backwards and then you know one of your co-workers is going to catch you and then you learn to trust <laughs> each other that way and it, you know it's so trite at this point it actually becomes almost like an episode of the office right <laughs> where they're not really getting anything out of it but it's really a waste of time well what we would do instead is we try to learn about each other and we use the techniques mastered by the world's greatest stand-up comedians to learn how to be better storytellers. And I might start start off, well, I would always start off by talking about what is and isn't appropriate. You're right, Elizabeth, that is crucial. I mean, we're not here to try to get anybody in trouble. You know, we don't want any lawyers, any HR, anyone being sued. And thankfully, knock on wood, 15 years I've been doing this with different companies and I've never had an issue with that. And I think that's because at the beginning of the session, well, actually before the session even happens, when I sit down and talk with senior leadership, I say, what is the culture at your company like? You know, each company has its own line about what's appropriate. There are some things that would be highly inappropriate for literally every company. But hmm. beyond that, some companies are a little more buttoned up, if you will, than others. So we need to know where the line is with all of them and then make sure we don't come anywhere near that line in the workshop. And one thing I like to say to, th to that end is there's a big difference between doing a corporate comedy training exercise in a conference room on the 14th floor than there is between doing a 20-minute guest spot at the Comedy Cellar in Manhattan at 12.30 <laughs> in the morning, right? So it's, it's not the same. So whatever you might think comedy is, you have to kind of uh, suspend that during this session so that we can make sure that the things you're saying are appropriate. So this means we're not talking about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't want to hear what goes on in your bedroom or your bathroom. We're not going to get heavy into politics or religion. There are certain areas where we can pretty much agree it's dangerous, so let's not go there. Instead, we do what we call a guided brainstorm. And I will ask you questions like, do you want to share your opinion about something that you saw in a TV commercial, or that's something that your husband said to you last night, or that's something one of your children did, or something that you may have heard in music lyrics, or, you know, and I'll do on and on like this. Hopefully something I say will jog something in your brain, like, oh yeah, that's something I could talk about on stage for sure. And so by doing the guided brainstorm in that way, I make sure that we're not going into those 
other more risky areas. And the general rule we say is if you think that something might possibly be inappropriate for this corporate comedy training session, it is inappropriate for this session. So when in doubt, leave it out. That makes life easy. And then we might do another brainstorm where I say, why don't we hear a story? Why don't you do some storytelling and tell us about a time? You know what audiences really love? Underdogs. So I want to hear the time when you were the underdog. You're a fish out of water, a stranger in a strange land. You're in a situation you never thought you'd be in. And now you've got to figure out how the heck you're going to navigate out of it. The deck is stacked against you. And usually when I say these things or maybe like, you know, a really embarrassing moment, something that happened that was totally unexpected that you weren't prepared for. Those are the kind of stories that audiences love. You know, I have a comedy special. It's out now on Amazon and Apple and other places. It's free on Spotify if you just want to listen to it. It's called Middle Child Syndrome. So I am one of three boys and I was the middle child and all of my uh, issues and my psychological problems come from that. And so that's what I make my comedy about. And so that's my Mm -hmm. my, uh, underdog story is that the middle child doesn't get as much attention as the other two boys. And so this is my life and this is what shaped my personality that I have today. So that's an example of an underdog story that you could that you could use. We all have our own version of that. Maybe it's your first day on the job or you went to the job interview and you got the person's name wrong or I don't know, like anything. You, you went on a date and then the person wasn't who you thought it would be. We make sure it's appropriate for your company. We make sure that no one's going to uh, cross any lines. When in doubt, leave it out. And once we have those guardrails established, we can start having lots of fun. And what's great about it is the first rule is tell the truth. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a great way to really get to know each other and, and build a team with your coworkers, maybe that you don't really get to see very often because you're doing hybrid working or remote working. And so now we all are finally together in person. And this is a way that we can really get to know each other on a more personal level, rather than the usual things people like to talk about to quote unquote, break the ice, which is usually just, you know, the weather or how was your weekend or uh, maybe how did the local sports team do over the weekend? That seems to be, you know, did you see the Yankees won and that sort of thing? It doesn't really get us anywhere because it's so it's almost too safe in that way so we figure out where the balance is and and work from there and i i wrote a tongue twister for you i'd like to get your opinion on this you have a musical theater background and i'm not singing on uh, (laughs) but i bring that up because uh, because uh, I know I was going to say I heard this trick from a vocal coach, but I don't need to tell you because of your musical theater background. What's a good way to warm up before a show in case you're nervous tonight for your show, Clayton? Yeah, so uh, great, great question about being nervous. Uh, you know, I, I know you're probably thinking of something like red leather, yellow leather, and all these different <laughs> vocal exercises that we do. See, she sells seashells, that sort of thing. <laughs> And those can get the, uh, you know, the tongue and the and the, the teeth and everything working together so that you don't stumble over your words. But in comedy, being nervous is actually a good thing. Being nervous is powerful because if you think about what does my being nervous 
mean to the audience? Think about every time in your life that you've ever been nervous, right? It, it's because the outcome matters to you. If you don't care how it goes, then you won't be nervous. If I am nervous, you know, by the same token, if I am nervous, that means that the outcome does matter to me. I do care how it goes. And think about your life, your, your the big job interview or the day that you uh, took the SAT to try to go to your, your top choice college or, you know, tryouts for cheerleading or the day you asked her to marry you, whatever it might be. For each of us individually, we have moments in our lives when we can remember the sweaty palms and the heart pounding and the butterflies in the stomach, right? Those are good things. And when the audience senses that I am nervous, they don't actually see nerves so much as energy. Nervous energy is real energy that we can use. And comedians learn how to convert that energy into excitement, into passion, into emotional fullness, which is a term that we use to just describe that whatever I'm talking about feeling, I'm actually feeling a version of it all over again on stage. So if I'm sharing a story from 10 years ago, with telling that story brings back all those feelings again, and then the audience sees that I am feeling that all over again, whatever it was. So being nervous is actually an essential component of a great performance. So that is something that I strongly encourage. And I noticed that the times in my career when I've bombed the hardest, it was when I wasn't nervous at all. And that's not a good experience. <laughs> I got this piece of cake. Yeah, right. The audience will put you right back in your place. That's a good story to share at my next workshop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Definitely, Definitely have some stories like that. Yeah, and we all do. Yeah. And that's, that's a kind of common bond that we're talking about here. You know, what this is really about is building connection, breaking down walls, you know, driving a healthy corporate culture. It's really about when I, as soon as I go up on stage, imagine if I went up on stage tonight and I said, hey, everybody, I'm a multimillionaire. I have a trust fund. Um, I I drive a Ferrari. I'm married to a supermodel. I've never worked a day in my life. How much is that audience going to hate me, right? But as soon as I get up on stage and I say, listen, I got a problem. Everybody sits forward in their seats and they say, all right, now this is a person I can relate to. <laughs> because let's face it, we all have problems. And what comedians do is cope with the ups and downs of life by using uh, the sense of humor, which is a gift from God, to be able to have a sense of humor to help us through good times and bad. And that's really what I want to share with people is that this is about using your unique individual sense of humor to build your personal charisma and create better relationships at work and at home. Yes, and, yes, and <laughs> yes, and. I love um, yes, and. Well, you you just said it. There you are. What you just said. You're showing up as yourself, and you do you do talk about something called a shift in attitude. You are watching a performer. You're watching them demonstrate their shift in attitude, 
The audience might be experiencing their own shift in attitude with you. That's a type of transformation you all are experiencing together. And Clayton, when I see your real self on stage and you're feeling those real emotions from a real story you're sharing, there you are. I see your honest self and we're making a connection. A little cheesy there on my part, but you just said it. No, I, I don't find it cheesy at all, Elizabeth. I feel like, well, you know, many times they'll schedule me for you know 8.30 in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning. And I get there and the, the, the company is nervous, kind of skeptical, like, what the heck? Why is the vice president making us do comedy training today? Don't they know I have clients that are waiting for me to solve their problems, right? And I feel that tension in the room and that, you know, that uh, reticence, that skepticism. And everyone's just kind of like, there's a lot of trepidation, like, who the heck is this Clayton Fletcher guy anyway, right? Three hours later, two and a half hours later, whatever it is, we've all laughed together. We've all learned about each other. We've all learned about our own unique individual sense of humor. We've developed our personal charisma and we've made real connections with our fellow human beings. And the, the feeling in the room, you talk about a shift in attitude, Elizabeth, the difference between the beginning of the session and how everybody feels after laughing for two hours, it's night and day. And now we're all closer. We feel like the uh, communication lines are more open and we're just healthier as a group. And that's what happens in the comedy club every night. And that's what happens when we do these uh, same experiments with uh, a group of corporate business people who have no desire to ever be on star search or anything like that. It's not about that at all. <laughs> so that's, that's what really happens. And it feels great to me as being the one who can take somebody from a place of kind of negativity, um, pessimism, skepticism, and anxiety to a place of free-flowing thought, openness, and authenticity. That's a beautiful thing to experience. It never gets old for me. I've been doing it for almost 16 years now, and it just, it never gets old. It never gets old. At Clayton Comic, uh, the link is in your bio right there on the page to watch the full special and the uh tongue twister i wrote for you is uh buy the book in bulk for my business which is at roilol.com buy the book in bulk for my business <laughs> yeah, that's not easy to say you did great though you did great hey <laughs> Well, because on ROI, LOL, there's a place to buy the book in bulk for your business. <laughs> All right. Da -da -da. Yeah, very good, Elizabeth. And thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I hope everyone will check out the book, ROILOL.com. You know, for those who are watching, here it is, the ROI of LOL. I can't take credit for the art. My publisher, HarperCollins, did the art, and I think it's a great cover. Um, and there's my picture on the back. There he is. So Chief thank Comedy you. Officer. Yeah, that's me, the CCO. <laughs> thank you so much. I hope you have a great time tonight. Thanks for having me on, Elizabeth. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Elizabeth, coming to you from the Walker Consulting Work Studio in Floyd, Virginia. This has been an episode of Dear Business Coach.